Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hi, this is Mike with Rogue Media Network. As Texas opens back up, some of our shows have chosen to continue to record from remote locations. Some of our other shows have started recording in studio with very few people observing social distancing. Thanks for listening, and please be safe. So I'm going to start this off just kind of casually. Um, this is a story that's pretty near and dear to me. Um, I had been introduced or I had been asked to tell the story originally on the Keep Waco Loud podcast. Um, the idea was brought to me by Jacob and Katie and they just said, hey, you know, I remember you telling us the story. We think it would be really good um, for the podcast. Um, but we're thinking about breaking it up into basically four different episodes. And as I thought a little bit more about it, this was just one of those stories that has to have this flow. Um, and so I told him, I said, hey, you know, I think there's a better story for that. And not that this isn't a great story, but I don't think that it would do well being broken up like that. Um, nevertheless, Mike, as, as you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit better, I've been really excited about what you're doing. Um, I've been really excited to be part of Waco um, and the growth that's been happening here to see people that are really pursuing things that they're passionate about um, being so inclusive. It's been great. So I just kind of thought a lot more about this and thought that this one, this, this particular story is so special to me that it, when you asked me to, you know, if I would like to record it still, um, I thought that would be great. So I'm, I guess I'm on record now saying that if something comes up and you feel like it would be relevant, um, and you would like to use it great. If not, um, then I'm just going to be thrilled to have it, um, you know, kind of just as a personal archive, um, to remember this by, um, I apologize if my voice doesn't sound great, but, uh, I'm going to try to power through this thing. So I grew up in a family my mom and dad were never together um, from the time that I was born. My mom married my stepfather when I was three and a half. He made vows to her at the altar as a husband, and he made vows to me as a father. Um, he left being a banker to go full-time ministry. So my mother and stepfather... And I only say that uh, for clarification's purposes, but um, but ultimately I grew up with two two dads. 
I grew up in a household that would be aptly kind of described as um, strict conservative evangelical, nothing too far out of the realm for normal Bible Belt Southern families. Um, but that's that was half of my upbringing. The other half was with my biological dad. Now, he grew up in a family. He was the youngest. Um, his mom, you know, poor Mexican family. She worked multiple jobs. His dad was an alcoholic. He bailed on the family when, when my dad was five. Uh, so never really had um, a father figure that was around. He fought a lot. He partied a lot. He got in a lot of trouble. But at the end of the day, he always showed up for me. And I really appreciated that. He and I had a wonderful relationship together. Um, those were very special times. And he and I would, when it was when it was his time to be with me, he had a cool car. He had sheepskin seats. He had the windows always down. Uh, the radio always cranked. And it was always Tom Petty. And so that was the soundtrack to my childhood. Um, and the best way that I could describe, you know, him was just rock and roll and we had a great time and I loved him dearly. I had two completely different upbringings. Um, but, but that was great. He, you know, my first beer with him, uh, was at a bullfight in Mexico when I was 13, just kind of randomly went down there together. Um, that was the only time that we went down there, but, um, you know, that, that was just the best way that I could describe growing up. So my mother, she got sick with cancer. Um, she battled that for two years and she passed away at the age of 44 when I was only 23 years old. I just graduated from college. I was pretty lost after that. Um, did some kind of bouncing around, um, was down in South America. And then I came back and I was on a road trip with a buddy and, um, he had an old VW bus and we ended up breaking down in, in Charleston, South Carolina. We wanted to go all over the U S but we broke down and just stayed and lived there, uh, for a little while. And then I came back to Austin and then I was in San Diego for a couple of years cause I missed surfing. And, and then I was back in Austin for a little while and I would always kind of come back for my dad. But, um, my dad had gotten sick also, and we didn't think it was that big of a deal. That was when I was living in San Diego just didn't really think too much about it. It just started out as kind of a limp at first. And, um, and then things got progressively worse. And at one point he told me, he said, yeah, actually we found out that a lot of this was because they think that I had a stroke. Um, and that a lot of the, you know, memory loss and things are actually attributed to, um, early dementia. So I, for some reason had kind of started while I was out in San Diego was already kind of writing more folky country style songs. Um, that was the first time that I'd ever done that. There was, there was something about Texas. I just fell in love with Texas all over again. And, um, you know, when he told me that, you know, things were a lot worse than what we were anticipating, I packed up the car. I told my boss, I said, I'm out of here. If you guys want to keep me, I can all work remotely. If not, I don't care. I'm going back to Texas and that's it pack up the car and I uh, go back to, um, drive back to Austin and I wrote him a song that night. Um, and that was detailed in a, in a different, uh, podcast. Um, but ultimately there were, it was, it was a two year battle for him. Also, he passed away at 55. It was November 3rd, or I should take a step back when he had gotten really sick. Um, I had made a transition into a different career 
Um, and that was a very difficult transition at the time. Um, a lot of what we were doing was, you know, was based on storm chasing, things like that. And a hurricane had hit down on the coast. That was Hurricane Harvey. Um, and so I had been down there while things were getting progressively worse with my dad. And so they had had to move him into a different hospital. Um, so I was spending something like five days a week nonstop working down on the coast. I would drive hours and hours out to the hill country uh, to be with him. And I would get to be home for all of one day, um, just trying to collect my thoughts, just trying to stay sane um, and normal. It had been going on like this for months. And um, one of the days that I was home, it was November 3rd, 2017. Uh, some friends of mine had called and they asked if I wanted to come see a show. And so I was living in Austin at the time. And I had this motorcycle. It was a, um, it was a, it was a Royal Enfield 500. Now these things are single cylinders, small displacement, and they're called thumpers just because of, um, the way that the cylinder, when you, when you have it at, at higher speeds, um, you can really hear that single cylinder working and, and it, and it has this distinct sound it thumps. So I thought, you know, this is a perfect night to, to ride the bike. And I thought I can either jump on the interstate and, and pop down into South Austin real quick and hit the spot. But I thought, you know, it's just, I need to clear my head. I'm going to take a, a longer route through the heart of Austin and, you know, took, took kind of a smaller road. I see this big Dodge truck and it was riding the tail of this other car right in front of them. Now this is a 35 mile an hour road. There's only two lanes. There's nowhere anybody could go. It didn't make any sense. Um, I had this really bad feeling though. And so I had kind of, I eased back on the throttle so that to make sure that my headlight, it was nighttime and I wanted to make sure that my headlight would be in this guy's rear view mirror so that he saw me, but I don't, I, I kind of got this impression that he didn't, he was so fixated on, on this other car in front of him. And so I wanted to go around him, but I thought, no, he's at some point he's going to swerve. He's just going to do it. And so I waited it out, waited it out. This guy never kind of jumped into the other lane to go around the car. And so I thought, well, I don't know, maybe he knows the car. Maybe they're following each other. I thought this is my chance. I gun it. I go around him. The second I start going around him, I see him swerve right into my lane. There's nowhere for me to go. Um, it was a, it was a taller curb because it was a drainage, uh, storm drain right there. So there was a really tall curb. And if I had hit the curb, there was a telephone pole right there and also a bridge. Um, so it would have been pretty disastrous for me somehow, even though he hit me with his truck, I stayed on two wheels. We were able to pull over and assess the damage. My mom had always said that every single day while she was alive, that she prayed for seven guardian angels over my life. Cause she never thought one was enough. There was another car that pulled over and, and it was two women. They got out and they were frazzled and they said, we thought that we had seen you die just now. Um, the guy and I, we shook hands. We worked it out later on, but the bike needed some work. And three days later, November 6, 2017, my dad passed away. My roommate at the time there in Austin, he and I had known each other for years. We had done a uh, bicycle ride from Austin, Texas to Anchorage, Alaska in college when we were kids. That was a 4,000-mile bicycle ride. We were really close. His girlfriend at the time was from San Miguel de Ende down in Mexico. And her family had a ranch. And they said that they were going to be going there for the entire month of December and, and kind of just threw it out there. Hey, you know, if you want to come down there at any point just to get away, why don't you come down to the ranch? 
And I, I know they kind of threw it out there, but we were all close enough to where if I wanted to take them up on it, I absolutely could. There was a lot going on at the time. And I, and I just kind of said, you know, show me on the map roughly where it's at. Cause they said it was kind of outside of town. And he said, actually it's right next to a water park. So around that time, he just kind of points on a map and he kind of zeroes in on Google and he says, you know, here's the water park and here's where it's at. And that was that. I had a lot to do. I had to, a lot of preparations, a lot of things that I was doing to, um, you know, to try to say goodbye to him, uh, to my dad at the time. And so my mind was just kind of elsewhere. After that, though, they had taken off. I get a call from this crematory. I don't know if that's even the right word for it, but they just said, hey, you know, why don't you come on by? Um, your dad's ashes are here and your name was given to us as as the person that, you know, was is supposed to come and, and pick these up. So they gave me an address. There was a girl that I had kind of loosely been seeing on and off here and there. And she was really sweet. She was great. Um, very nurturing. Um, but one of the things that had struck me at this time that she said to me, she said, you know, you just don't receive comfort well. And I, that kind of caught me off guard. I'd never really thought about it like that. I've always been the person that people come to, um, you know, when they're going through hardships, people come to me and I, they've just always kind of had this trust that, you know, whatever they said was going to stay between us. Um, I listened to people a lot and, and just kind of kept that between us. So I wasn't real, uh, used to kind of opening up, I should say. It's not that I had any issue with that. It's just, it just wasn't kind of my typical MO. So I did think a lot about that when she said that. Now she had just bought a house and she always invited me over and, and I kind of find a way to not go. Um, but it just so happened that the place where I was picking up the ashes was right down the street. And it turns out that um, she had moved into the same neighborhood that my dad had, um, the childhood home, you know, where the, his first house that he had ever bought there in Austin, um, where, you know, all of my years growing up and, and spending time with him, you know, it was about a block away from the house. I thought about it. I sat there in the parking lot for a while. I wanted to go see the old house with the tree that I used to jump out of. And there was a Bob Dylan song that was playing at the time, and it was um, sad-eyed lady of the lowlands. Now this is an 11 minute song. I'd never heard it before. About 10 minutes had gone by with just typical Bob Dylan fashion, this ballad, this long kind of drawn out tons of lyrics. And, and most of that, for some reason, I, I didn't even pay attention to, but there was this, this part and I went back and I re-listened to it later on in seven seconds. And that's it of this entire song that somehow gripped me. He goes into this really long um, harmonica part that's piercing and almost unbearable. And then all of a sudden there's this drop in, in, the, um, in the note on this harmonica part and it ripped me to shreds. Later on, I would try to figure out what that was sitting there. I, I just hadn't had a chance to really grieve. I, there was so much commotion and chaos and things going on um, that I the best description that I could find for these notes and why it tore me up so bad out of nowhere where I hadn't even paid attention for 10 minutes was that it sounded like somebody that's, that's trying not to be emotional and, and the emotions are about to grip you and, and your chest is getting heavier and you're breathing harder and harder. And then all of a sudden there's that pause. And then, you know, that just 
uh, release uh, of emotions. And that's kind of what it sounded like that just gasped that, that exhale uh, where it all finally comes spilling out in that harmonica part for seven seconds uh, really brought me back to reality and brought me back to a place where I could start to grieve and start to think about, you know, what was taking place in me being, you know, having this feeling now of being biologically orphaned, um, you know, barely being in my thirties at that point, my bike was wrecked. My roommate was gone. I was pretty lonely at the time. And so uh, I went back home and, and I thought about it and I needed a different motorcycle anyways. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to pack up. I'm going to, I'm going to get a different bike. I'm going to take the insurance money, you know, from the other bike and, and, um, and I'm going to get something different. And so I found this deal on a, um, on a, on a triumph. I'm a sucker for old kind of British world war II styling bikes. And, and they had a different bike that I was looking at at the time that was far more roadworthy. And I found it on Craigslist in Houston. It was almost too good to be true, the price. And so I reached out to the guy and it was this older gentleman. And I thought, you know, this guy sounds totally normal. Maybe I should take a chance on it. And so I bought a mega bus ticket and I went out to Houston and this old man picks me up in, in uh, the parking lot at McDonald's in downtown Houston. And he, he's in this really nice Audi uh, SUV and he takes me back to this super swanky uh, spot where he lived. And he opens up the garage and he's got all these beautiful motorcycles and gear, race gear galore. And he's telling me about how his dad used to race motorcycles and just said, you know, before, you know, he had passed away, he said, you know, promise me that while I'm alive, you'll never race motorcycles. He said, all right, dad, I promise. Well, he's a, you know, very well-to-do established businessman. And when he retired he, he was pretty bored. And so he said, well, my dad's, you know, no longer here. So I don't have to honor that promise anymore. And so later in life, he had taken this up. And so he had gotten this motorcycle for his wife, for some reason, it only had 300 miles on it. She never rode it. And so he sold it to me for something that, I mean, was just absurd. So all the pieces were falling together. I rode this bike back to, uh, back to Austin that night, packed up my bags. You know, I reached out to my friend and, and uh, said, Hey, you know, will you ask your girlfriend, is it okay if I, you know, go ahead and come down? I think I'm going to, I got a new bike. I think I'm going to ride down to Mexico. He said, you know, if you can make it, then, uh, bring it on. I said, okay, no problem. So I pack up and I decided let's, let's go for it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the next morning, it was in the, uh, it was in the high 30s. I didn't have gear for this. I had never been on a, a motorcycle trip that far by myself and particularly going that far down into Mexico. This is going to be a 2000 mile uh, round trip when it was all said and done and I'm doing this thing solo and it's freezing cold and it's, you know, there in December. 
there was a point where my knees were so cold that when I stopped in the gas station to decide whether or not I could physically make it or not, I tried to put my feet down and I couldn't feel my legs anymore just because the all the wind was so cold on my on my on my knees. I thought, is this a really a good idea or not? Why am I doing this? Am I pushing myself a little bit too hard just because of the pain, um, emotional pain, and and try to match that maybe with physical pain? Is this a bad idea? I decided to press on. I make it to Monterey, Mexico the first night, and I pull over. I'm looking at the map that night and studying it and trying to decide. For some reason, I didn't ask them for directions. I had seen it on the map. I knew that it was next to a um, next to a, a water park, and that I thought that was enough. So I'm looking at the map, trying to study these things just in case. I had a phone on me. I had a little thing rigged up to where I could see the, the GPS on my phone from the handlebars. I had my phone fully charged that next morning. I had breakfast. Got on the road a little bit later than I wanted to. I didn't have a, a ton of daylight at the time. And I get going, and immediately something happened with the directions. I'm watching my phone, and I thought, this is not what I was studying over breakfast. This is not the road that I was looking at trying to be on. I pull off, and I look at the maps again, and it turns out that it had rerouted without me knowing to a different way that it added several hours for some reason. And I thought, this is this is not going well. Well, in addition to that, it, the phone, it was so cold outside that it had gone from 100% all the way down to um, 15 already at that point, just in 30 minutes of riding. And so I thought, I've got seven, eight hours of riding today, and I've got a phone that has zero battery, and I'm in a country, um, you know, in a foreign country by myself on a motorcycle. This is not a good situation. So I turned the phone off. I thought I need to preserve the battery as much as possible. And I had, I hit the road on, on, uh, on memory alone, made it pretty far and actually got into the, uh, the right state, um, that I, that I wanted to be in and, uh, thought, okay, I'm, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. The sun was starting to set though. I turned into this little town and, They've got the, uh, it was actually the Virgin Mary's birthday that day. And so they've got all the roads shut down and I had to go on, on this rock pile with all these other cars and the bike wasn't doing well on it. It was kind of spinning out. The, the rocks were pretty jagged and it was, and it looked like it was tough on the tires. I was getting pretty worried. People were honking. They were giving me a hard time. Finally get over the rock bed and I get into it around the, the parade, uh, for the town. And I go and I, I thought, you know, the sun's setting, I, I, have to be close. I don't know where I'm at. Meanwhile, I'd also looked and, and realized that there was somehow not one, but there were two water parks. And so I had kind of done an eeny, meeny, miny, mo that morning of what water park I kind of wanted to set my compass for. And, um, and so I turned on the phone and I just, I kind of on a hope and a prayer, um, was just hoping that it'd even turn on. I had 7% and I was watching it drop the second it turned on seven, six, five percent battery life. I send a text message to my buddy. We both had the same type of phone at the time. And so the second I asked him to drop me a pin, I was looking and I thought, I hope I get this in time. I hope he sees this. I hope his phone's next to him. I hope he has reception. I don't know what the situation is. Immediately, I see some bubbles pop up that he's trying to respond to me. And I just thought, you know, praise, praise the Virgin Mary. Let me jump into this celebration right now. I'm saved. So he sends me a pin and, and I pull it up on the GPS and it turns out, I only had one more turn to make and that was it. Somehow for the last seven, eight hours, I was, I, I was on the right roads. 
had made all the right turns. And, um, and so I was elated. I was only 15 minutes away. And so all of this anxiety, all of this fear of, you know, why did I do this? Why was I freezing cold? All of it was starting to dissipate. And so jump on the throttle and all of a sudden I get out of this town and there was this beautiful back country road. There was only two, two lanes and farm, farm roads everywhere. And, and it was just, the sun was setting right in front of me and the whole sky was on fire and I'm flying down this road and there's this really great hills. And so the bike was doing great. And the whole time I had been asking myself, why did I do this? Why, why did I put myself out here like this? And I looked and on the wall was this, I guess somebody was campaigning at one point and they had done a mural for this politician there. And he had the same exact first and last name as my dad. And I'm not really kind of hokey. I'm not one looking for signs, you know, divine signs or, you know, things from the afterlife. These, I don't need, you know, these, uh, I guess these reinforcements necessarily, but, you know, to be thinking about why I was down there the entire time, all of a sudden to see the writing right there on the wall. It was a pretty special moment. Thought, okay, I'm going to make it. I'm going to survive. And I get there and, and, uh, the ranch was beautiful and they kind of put me up in, in this, kind of wing all to myself and I had time to write and I had time to reflect and, and, um, and those were great times and, you know, but something about it seemed a little too, um, not posh, but it just seemed a little too nice. Everyone, you know, obviously everyone was being very warm and welcoming. Um, but I needed something a little bit more to push myself, um, you know, after I'd been there for a few days and spent some time and collected my thoughts and, and had a chance to grieve a little bit, had a chance to laugh a little bit, had a chance to go out and have some good food and, and be around my people again. So I'm talking to my roommate and, uh, he said, you know, I've got, I've got one of my other ex-girlfriends. She lives kind of in the Monterey area. There's this book that, that, uh, that you should read about, um, the Wichole tribe. And, you know, they're the ones that kind of created the peyote experience. They're the ones that kind of found that as, as a means of ritual, as a, of a as a spiritual ritual. Um, maybe you should look into it and maybe you should reach out to, you know, my old girlfriend. And so I said, okay. So I did. And she said, yeah, you should go up into this place called Real de Catorce. It's this old mining town up in the mountains um, on your way back. She said, there's this dirt road that winds down the mountains. I've got these friends. One's Canadian, one's from, from this little little village down there. There's only a few houses. Just go walk around and ask for them. Take them some food, particularly some chocolate, um, because they don't get a chance to get up into the markets very often. That would be really important to them. And if you're looking for some sort of means of um, having kind of a your own um, ceremony for your dad, I think that this would be a really great uh, way of doing that. I should note that I had um, potentially, we'll just call it smuggled uh, powdery substance. But, um, you know, when I had picked up my dad's ashes, they said, you know, here's here's documentation. These are considered human remains. You will need this if you're going to, um, you know, keep this. And, and particularly if you're going to cross any state boundaries, anything like that, are you going to be traveling? I said, does Mexico count? And she gave me this really weird look and seemed uncomfortable. And I said, maybe I'm kidding, you know, and just kind of left. And I said, thanks, thanks for, you know, the, the warning. So in theory, I had smuggled his ashes down there with me, some of them. 
and I had meant to, the idea was that I was going to have this little ceremony to myself to where I could spread them. And I thought that that would be a cool, cool thing to do to, to try to, you know, start to let go. So I drive up and I ride the bike up into this, uh, this old mining town and I figured out why they called it Real de Catorce. Catorce is 14 in Spanish. It was 14 miles of cobblestones leading up into the mountains, which was hellacious um, for the suspension and for my back and, and my butt uh, going up into this, followed by this mile-long kind of drift through this canyon um, that looked like it was something out of an Indiana Jones set uh, with just kind of barely lit you know, inside this tunnel to get to the other side. So I check into this little Airbnb. It was this old stone house that was there on the, uh, on the hillside. And I go to dinner with the lady that owned the place. Her mom was in town from Denmark and, um, she was a really sweet woman. She, she said, Hey, do you, you guys want to go get dinner? I said, yeah. And so I go to get dinner with her. She's talking to me about how she had originally found this place and brought her daughters there, and, and her daughters were the ones that um, made the Airbnb later on. So she said, I just got in town. I'm really excited to be back. This is the first time that I've been back uh, to Mexico since you know since I brought my daughters here, and we all lived here for a number of years. And I said, okay, great. So the next morning I wake up, and I kind of told him I was just going to go do some sightseeing. I walked down to the, uh, the other side of the village where you could um, – see the the path that goes down and there were all these old jeep willies these four by four rigs that were giving tours down into the desert where i was kind of instructed to go find these people that were going to help me find peyote um and i'm looking and i'm trying to decide would my motorcycle make it down there because it was quite a ways down and this guy comes up on me and he starts talking to me he says hey you know kind of what are you what are you looking at what are you thinking and i said well i'm potentially deciding if, if I can ride my motorcycle down here or not. He said, I don't think your motorcycle is going to make it. He said, but I've got horses. Why don't we ride horses? I said, that, that sounds kind of like a, a pretty good idea, but I should kind of explain to you why I'm trying to go down there. I'm, I'm looking for peyote. And he said, okay, no problem. I said, you know, I want to make it clear that, um, you know, I'm just, I'm not another gringo coming here looking to do drugs. In fact, I don't do well on drugs at, at all. I, even on pot, uh, just a one hit of pot and that's it. I'm done. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. I'll get super paranoid. I don't do it. I hate it. Um, it just doesn't do well for me, for my system. It's just never been a good thing for me. I said, but for some reason, you know, this is the, the type of experience that I'm looking to curate. Um, and you should also know, he said, okay, no problem. I said, well, great. Well, you should also know, um, you know, that I'm here. And the reason I want to go down and do this is because, uh, my dad just passed away. He said, I understand. And I said, so this is a spiritual thing. This isn't, uh, you know, this isn't meant to be a celebration of, uh, of drugs or, or usage of anything like that. And he said, no problem. I said, well, final thing is I actually have his ashes right here on me. He didn't seem dismayed at all. He said, great, let's take some horses. Let's go down there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this. I said, okay, great. And it was actually, it was a really sincere interaction. And so I felt comfortable with it. And so we jump on some horses and we go down in the desert and, uh, he helps me find, find, you know, what I was looking for in the desert. And so we prep it and we cut it and I had a flask of whiskey on me and, uh, said a little prayer, ate the, um, ate the peyote, washed it down with some whiskey, walked out into a clearing, had my dad's ashes and 
this guy actually took pictures and, and he did a really great job of documenting, you know, this, this whole interaction. So I said a few things for my dad and, and, um, and I threw the ashes and then laid down for a little while, um, kind of in, in some shade. And, and then he said, all right, I think it's time to go back up a couple hours later. And so start going up the, uh, the mountainside and that's when it started to take hold. What happened next was 14 hours of, um, a trip, if you will, an experience, um, that just the best way that I can describe it is that as frightening as it was for me, I, I really hated not being in control of my mind. Um, but that was one of the only ways that I could think to, to truly just lose control, to lose control over trying to control my emotions, trying to keep everything together, trying to, um, just manage my life and everything that was going on at the time. And this was a way to just completely be outside of my mind and have zero control over what was taking place. It was kind of beautiful though, because the only way that I can describe the 14 hours that this thing took hold was, um, was that everything came to life. So, uh, when I looked at a picture, it was a still shot and the clouds were moving in the picture and the grass was swaying. When I would see murals, the murals would come to life. Um, you know, that that's just the best way that I can describe it, is that everything came to life in a time where it felt like everything around me had been lost to death. So that's what I did for, for 14 hours is I just tried to to not freak out and I didn't sleep the entire night. Finally, the, uh, the next morning I saw some light creeping through the door and it, and this thing finally let hold and just, just kind of, it went away. Everything went away. I, I was able to kind of reclaim my mind and, um, and, and not have that presence anymore. And so I went downstairs and there was kind of this glow and I was, I was trying to wrap my head around what had just happened. And I go downstairs and, and there was the Danish mom that was down there and she invited me to have coffee with her. And, and I sat down and she said, Hey, you know, where'd you go yesterday? I didn't see you all day. And I felt this kind of ease about kind of just saying, Hey, is, is it okay if I tell you the truth? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, I went down in the desert and, and, um, had a ceremony and I, and I, did peyote on, on my own and, and, um, kind of went on this trip for 14 hours. And I could tell that she was processing that and saying, and, and knew that there was a reason behind it. And so she asked and I said, well, you know, because my dad just passed away. So she sat down, she made us coffee and she said, tell me everything. And it was so genuine and she wanted to know everything and she wanted to see pictures and she wanted to, she just wasn't kind of put off by, um, by what, what I had done at all. And she said, just, I want to, I want to know your music. I want to know, you know, the things that were the most important to you guys, uh, to you and your dad. And it was this beautiful moment. And I stayed there for three hours talking to her and, um, and having coffee. And at the end of it, I said, you know what? I, I was supposed to be here for a few more days, but I think I got what I came for. I think I want to go home now. I'm going to pack my bags and, and, um, I think that's going to be it. And she said, well, this is a really wonderful moment for me too. Uh, do you mind if I, you know, walk you to your bike and, and, um, and say goodbye to you? And I said, yeah, that would be wonderful. She puts this big fur coat on and she walks me into the bike. She gives me this big hug 
And it brought me back to that moment where I was told that I didn't receive comfort well. And the reason that I thought about that was because she gave me this hug that pretty much only a mother could. And I realized that for at that point, it had been eight years since I'd felt that. And it wasn't that I was standoffish to emotions. It wasn't that, you know, I wasn't capable of, of receiving comfort. It, I just hadn't felt something that sincere uh, for so long that I'd forgotten what it felt like and how to receive it. And in that moment, um, that was just about as as warm as anything could have been. And um, we said goodbye, and I got on my bike, and I rode home without any sleep. And I was delirious. And I made it through the border and I just wanted to press on and get back to my bed. And things were so bad that I actually, I had had so much time to be in my head alone with my thoughts, processing things, which is exactly what I wanted to do. But by that point, you know, I just really wanted to drown out and, and there was nothing left for me to think about. There was no, nothing left for me to do. <laughs> so I ended up singing the, the song, 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around all the way down to zero bottles of beer on the wall. And that's what got me home. I didn't get home until two in the morning. I got in my bed and, um, and I thought, you know, that was a, that was a really neat experience. That was a, that was a really neat way to say goodbye to my dad. And I think that that was the, um, maybe the most rock and roll thing that I could have done for him. And, uh, I'll hold on to that for a long time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Keep Wake Aloud, the podcast is produced by Oni Chan Productions. Our theme music is by Fish Hands. If you like what you hear, you should check them out on Bandcamp. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really like us, give us a five-star rating. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or check out our website where you can buy merch or even see some local events coming up. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been the Rogue Media Network Podcast.